Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. When last we were all together, Harold Hadrada, the King of Norway, invaded the Anglo-Saxon Kingdom of England, and the Norwegian King was aided by Tostig, the English King's brother, lending the conflict a sprinkle of Shakespearean flavor. The Norwegian forces found success at first, defeating the Northern forces at the Battle of Fulford Gate. Harold Godwinson, the King of England, led a force march with his forces from London to York in just five days, shocking the Norwegian army. After a hard-fought battle at Stamford Bridge, the English army came away triumphant, and the Norwegian king lay dead in the field of battle. It was a victory that typically would have cemented Harold Godwinson's rule and the strength of English arms in Europe. Harold Shadrado was a strong ruler and a quite capable commander in the field of battle. Except Harold Godwinson did not have time to bask in the glow of his victory. Enter now William, the Duke of Normandy. The Duke of Normandy was a known threat, and Harold had spent most of 1066 on the Isle of Wight waiting for William's invasion. By September, however, William had not yet invaded, and Harold withdrew back to London. And shortly after, Harold Hadrada had invaded. The Norman invasion force landed on the southern shores of England at Pevensey Bay on September 28th. Harold could hardly be any further from the landing point of William's army, having stayed in York after Stamford Bridge and resting the army. William, upon landing, proceeded cautiously, filling out the territory and encamping at an old Roman fort. Seriously, let's talk about that infrastructure. And he began building a base of operations. As the days progressed, and William's scouts had not detected any opposition coming their way, a contingent of Norman forces were sent out to Hastings to demand surrender, which they promptly did. On September 29th, Harold was made aware of the Norman landing in Pevensey. Harold sent out orders to his brother Leofwine to gather up forces and left York with his professional troops. And just as a quick FYI, Harold has two more brothers, the previously mentioned Leofwine and his other brother Gerth, both non-traitors. Harold sped down from York and back to London by October 6th, again making rapid progress and surprising William. Despite his quick progress, Harold's forces were still being amassed, and William, in order to force a battle quickly, began raiding Harold's lands in Sussex and his vassal's lands as well. William also engaged in some reputation smearing and began spreading the rumor that Harold had cut Tostig's head off his body after his death in battle. Very mean girls ask of him. These actions forced Harold into making a move, and despite having the advantageous position where he could take his time and let his troops amass and pick a battle on more favorable terms for the English, William's raids and gossip had done the trick. Harold felt that he could no longer wait, and on October 11th, left London to meet William's forces. Harold's forces were all infantry, with his professional troops being the most heavily armed and armored, wielding two-handed axes that could cut through a horse and a man with single chop, or so the sources say. The quality again varies as the Ferds levied would have whatever they could arm themselves with and whatever they had for armor, which was all of varying degrees. Had Harold waited longer, he could have bolstered his forces with higher quality men. The army was set in contrast to William's forces, the core elite of it being his knights. Norman knights were well-renowned throughout Europe as some of the most shockingly effective mounted forces. William had recruited heavily for this campaign and had lords not only from Normandy, 
but other French lands, drawing heavily from Brittany and Flanders, as well as more Norman forces from southern Italy. On October 14th, after a 50-mile march, English and Norman forces would meet head-to-head. The day prior, Norman scouts had spotted the English forces coalescing and rode back to William immediately to inform him of the English arrival. Upon hearing the news, William began recalling his forces that were still foraging and scouting around and put his forces on high alert, anticipating a surprise attack like Harold had launched at Stamford Bridge. The attack never came as Harold opted to rest his forces after the march. The battle would be fought the next day on October 14th. The next morning, a Norman scouting party rode up to gain intel on the English forces and saw that more forces were still marching to meet up with the English king. Taking this news back to William, the Duke decided to engage the English forces before they were ready. The Normans moved closer to the English forces, who were by now aware of each other. The English forces situated themselves at the top of a hill known as the Senlac Hill and deployed their shield wall formation, while William's forces lined up at the bottom of the hill and prepared for battle. Harold on this day had around 8,000 men, while William had around 7,000 to 7,500 men, with 2,000 being his elite cavalry. The Battle of Hastings was a full-day affair, long and hard fighting between the Normans and English. The battle began around 9 a.m., and the Normans began advancing on the English position with a barrage of arrow fire. The arrows had little effect on the English as they were formed up in the shield wall, and the arrows were coming uphill. Then, William's heavy infantry began their ascent on the hill, coming up toward the English defensive line. The Norman infantry engaged with the English line, and grueling hand-to-hand combat began. The Norman infantry was determined in breaking the lines and pushed hard, but the English were just as resolute in maintaining their defensive position. The infantry engaged each other for a half an hour, but were unable to make any headway. The Normans began to disengage, and William sent his knights to charge through. The knights were forced to ride uphill with their horses and had to go uphill again while carrying their fully armored riders. The impact the cavalry had on the shield wall was minimal. To make things worse for the Normans, when either their infantry or cavalry strayed too close, the shield wall would open up and one of the Huskarls, the professional fighting force of the army, would come through and cleave in half whoever had gotten too close. A rather unfortunate way to go. Eventually, the Norman left flank began to have enough and began to descend back down the hill. Seeing their foes take flight, the English forces on the right began to chase after their fleeing foe. Harrelson orders for the right flank not to break formation, but they were not heeded. The charging English force chased their enemies down and began cutting them down. As a quick side note, in a lot of ancient battles, majority of the casualties came from the retreat. Exposing your back to the enemy forces usually was not a great idea. Panic withdrawals led to many deaths, while an orderly retreat usually minimized losses. The Normans surviving this onslaught made it back down the hill, but they kept retreating. This exposed William's center where he was located, so he sent the order for his remaining troops on the hill to come back down. Now, the English forces were outnumbered on the plains, so Harold sent a force downhill to support his now exposed forces. This charge was led by both of Harold's brothers, Leofwine and Gerth. 
Their force crashed into the Normans and began pushing them back, having some great success at the start. However, the English luck could not last forever. Both of Harold's brothers were killed in the fighting, which killed the momentum of the charge. The English forces regrouped at the top of the hill, while the English forces were left at the bottom, their formations were finally left to fend for themselves. After the regrouping of the English forces at the top of the hill, it was now do or die for the Normans. Rumors had spread through the Norman forces that William had died in the fighting. William took off his helmet and rallied his men, showing them he was still alive. The retreating Norman forces who had been scattered by the English right flank had been regrouped by William's half-brother, the Bishop Odo of Bayeux. Medieval priests were not allowed to draw blood, so like all humans, they found ways around that bit of nonsense and used club-like weapons like maces or staffs, because there's no prohibition from bonking your enemies over the head. And if you don't kill them, you just let them develop CTE, which is quite the long-term play here. William also led a small force of knights and eliminated the now-exposed English forces. Out of position and unable to resist the charge, they were all killed. After this turnaround for the Norman forces, an intermission of sorts would have occurred. The fighting had been hard, and both sides needed a time for rest and food. It reminds me of a halftime break in football, the North American version for all you European listeners. Both forces were probably drinking some medieval version of Gatorade, which in all likelihood was probably just watered-down wine, eating some bread, and shaking to make sure that your work best friend is still alive and didn't get lanced through the heart or cleaved in twain by an axe. Here's where our situations begin to change for both armies. Harold, as the defending force, could afford to draw this engagement out. He would receive more reinforcements, maintain a steady stream of supplies, and could take his time whittling down the Norman invaders. William as the invader needed a decisive victory, and quickly. Harold had William pinned down in the south, and if the conflict raged on for a few more days, William's supplies and manpower would dwindle down. Both armies, now hydrated and fed, lined up in their formations again. William sent his forces up the hill, and they began fighting again in brutal hand-to-hand fighting like in the morning. This time, William had a plan. Small groups began to retreat in terror, but unlike the first time, this time it was a trap. The English forces would burst forward and begin chasing their enemies, but the cavalry would wheel around and charge into the now-exposed infantry. This tactic was used several times throughout the afternoon and to great effect. This began to thin out Harold's more professional troops who were heavily armed and armored, who were in the center mainly, but had been dispersed along both flanks to reinforce the shield wall. William was like a shark smelling blood now. His archers were sent forward to bombard the English line, and this time it was chaos. The thinning line and less armored feared men began dying from the missile bombardment, and William knew this was his time to strike. He charged forward with the remaining contingent of knights at his disposal and broke through the center of the English line. It was over for the English now. They had fought hard, and in a similar twist of irony, Harold was shot in the eye with an arrow, and it was cut down afterwards. With the English king dead, the army lost its will to fight, and the surviving forces fled. William had achieved his great victory. Despite the great victory, the English did not surrender just yet. The English elected a new king, the 14-year-old Edgar 
Edgar's grandfather was King Edmund, the king who had fought against Cunu's invasion in the first episode. Edmund's son Edward went into exile and lived in Hungary and had a son Edgar. Edgar was recalled to England by Edward the Confessor, but was too young to be crowned at Edward the Confessor's death. One reason he was not crowned was the imminent invasion of William had been predicted, and secondly, Harold Godwinson and his family had been quite powerful as earls beforehand and was able to get Harold to become crowned king. Despite being elected, Edgar was never crowned, and after William had been victorious in a couple more smaller engagements, the English surrendered to William, and he was crowned king on Christmas Day, 1066. Even after being crowned king, William faced resistance and rebellion from the English. A notable rebellion being led by our old friends Edwin and Morcar, who had elected not to help Harold. They were both defeated in the rebellion, but managed to escape. However, they did not get happy endings. Edwin was betrayed by a small group of his men and handed over to the Normans who had him killed. While Morcar submitted himself to William, hoping to be pardoned, but he was not, and was put into prison. When William died in 1087, he allowed for Morcar to be freed, if he would behave himself after he was released. William's successor to the English throne, his son William Rufus, had put him back into prison, where he would stay until the end of his days. So, sorry about that, Morcar. And back to the present. In 1069, William was fed up with the resistance he was facing, and the constant rebellions in the North. So he unleashed what is known as the Herring of the North. He sent forces to the north and devastated the land, torching homes, killing livestock, destroying crops. The innocent were cut down with the guilty. It was indiscriminate and it was a slaughter. Counts of the death were reported to be over 100,000, but modern scholarship is unsure of the actual figures. What we do know is that once again, on William's deathbed, suffering from a bout of pre-death clarity, he regretted giving the order for the herring. William ruled in England for 21 years, going back and forth between England and Normandy. When William died, he had three sons, Robert, William Rufus, and Henry. William's eldest son, Robert, had always been a thorn in his side and had rebelled against his father. Despite the bad blood, Robert was made Duke of Normandy, William Rufus was king in England, and the young Henry was given some money to buy a sizable portion of land. The two older brothers agreed to make each other their heirs and went about their business. William Rufus ruled in England for 13 years until he was, quotation mark, accidentally killed, quotation mark, in a hunting accident. This happened while Robert was off on the First Crusade. This left Henry in a prime spot to take the throne of England, which he did. Robert returned from the crusade and decided as the older brother he should be made king and invaded England. He was unsuccessful, and Robert and Henry made peace. The peace did not last, however, as Robert was a notorious troublemaker. And in 1105, Henry invaded Normandy, captured his brother, and Robert spent the rest of his life in prison. The young Prince Henry was now King of England and the Duke of Normandy and Henry would rule England and Normandy for 35 years, quite capably. As king and duke, his domains were quite large, larger than the king of France at this point in time. 
Things would not stay quiet forever, and Henry died without an heir in 1135 when his only legitimate son drowned in a boating accident. Henry had made his daughter his heir before his death, but the nobles weren't interested in being ruled outright by a woman. Henry's nephew was crowned king, and that began a civil war. Henry's daughter Matilda and her husband Joffrey, who was the Count of Anjou, a county that neighbored Normandy, fought for the throne. The civil war went on for 14 years, until Stephen, the now current King of England's son, died. He agreed to make Matilda's son, also named Henry, king after his death. They came to an agreement in 1153, and Stephen shortly died afterwards. Henry II was now King of England, Duke of Normandy, held his father's land in Anjou, and began what was known as the Angevin Empire. Henry ruled for 35 long years and died in 1189, when his famous son became king, known to us as Richard the Lionheart. Well, that's it for this week's episode, and for our mini-series on the Norman Conquest of England. I'll be taking another week off to begin my research for our next topic. If you want some hints as to what I'm planning, follow me on Instagram at pinpoint underscore history. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give it a five-star rating wherever you're listening to it. I'll be back soon. Let's get it. <laughs>